The Pac-12 Network temporarily forgets Sabrina Ionescu until Kelly Graves calls them out. Tyler Shug transfers from Oregon. And Ralph is horrified with how I just said his name. Um, the Pac-12 basketball refs tell the Pac-12 football refs to hold their beer. And our text line is absolutely blowing up. Marcel Yates goes to Oregon. After seeing DeAndre Ayton, would you pick Evan Mobley with the number one pick? What's going on with the recruiting and recruiting class sizes and everything else? This is the Pac-12 Apostles Podcast. The podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where we keep it 100 all the time. Um, you guys make sure that you guys send us an email. I'm Matt. I am M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. And most importantly, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Not a four-star, even though Ralph will consistently tell you, just give us what we deserve and we'll be better. No, this is a five-star production right now. You know, now that we have the text line and people can communicate with us directly uh, and they can give us real-time information on how to improve, then maybe uh, maybe I advocate for five stars since you can since there's another avenue. I don't oh, know. We'll so see. Maybe maybe my views are evolving. <laughs> um, and you guys, of course, more than anything, make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Tell them about it so we can continue to grow. Um, and listen to us on the Right or Wrong podcast as well. If you guys don't know, if you listen to the Right or Wrong podcast and you already know that we have moved over, we've signed a deal with iHeart to, uh, to help the podcast grow, to help them distribute it to different places. So thank you guys so much because we are growing by leaps and bounds and you guys are the reason why. So, um, but this is an absolute jam-packed show and make sure that you leave a rating and a review the reviews like that had gotten to be such a crucial part of this show and then we haven't oh oh ralph we got two reviews two ah, reviews yes two ratings i mean oh well, ratings reviews whatever. that's exciting we haven't had very many since the football season ended i know i know the people were listening because i can see the metrics but i was like why are we not getting reviews but anyways, I, I say let's let's start with the reviews. I'm okay. Excited. Okay, you're going to have to read the first one because I'm still pulling them up. Okay. Um, yeah, but th this is your job to read them, Ralph. You're right. All right, give me a second. I'm going to get there. I promise you. We should, we should play Jeopardy music for you right now. See, your, your humming is going to get us a bad review, and then you're going to blame it on me. <laughs> All right. Oh, we got. All right. Okay. So we got one from Sunday, uh, and it's from friend of Hank. I feel like this is an updated review. And here's a review. The title is five stars all the way with an exclamation point. And friend of Hank says, "My favorite sports podcast." I wanted to give the podcast one star for every tooth Ralph had removed. <laughs> But there's a limit of five. <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks for continuing to podcast during your recuperation, Ralph. 
rather than taking a well-deserved medical slash stress leave. Oh man. So for, yeah, for people who don't know, I had seven molars removed, uh, on December 28th. And, uh, I still don't have them. I haven't uh, gotten them replaced yet. So I got like no teeth in my mouth and it was absolute hell for about a month. Um, but I'm getting kind of used to it now. Just still eating soft foods. I did go, I, I did try to eat some, some tortilla chips the other day. That didn't go so well. <laughs> chewing them with my, how chewing much, them with my front teeth. How much have you lost? Oh, I only like eight pounds, only like eight pounds because like I, I was losing weight pretty quick at first. And then the one thing that I could really like hold down that always made me happy was peanut butter. So you can rest assured that I've gone pretty hard on the peanut butter shakes, <laughs> but I did drop eight pounds like immediately. And I managed to just st- stick around there for the last 40 days or so. Okay. Um, all right. The, the next review. All right. Hopefully it's not about my teeth. Um, <laughs> It is uh, titled Recruiting, and it is from Fighting Ducks. George is a first-round five-star, and Ralph would most likely have a college career that would get him drafted four-star. Ah, they're referencing the us going through and explaining the 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 actual rating system, so you know that they're for sure a listener, and that's not like a friend or family member just boosting <laughs> us. I like that one. I, anytime you can make a reference from the show, that's super cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and speaking of reference to the uh, show, because we, we actually g- just gave it away. There is a secret text line, but you have to find it during the, the show. We're not just going to give it to you in the beginning. You, th- this is the people who clearly have texted us. These people are, um, you know, some of them we communicate with on Twitter because we communicate with people on Twitter, but some people have used the, the, the text line. So the Twitter people who Twitter communicate with us between that and the text line, we appreciate you. And there's a lot of text. Appre- there's yes. a lot of text. I, I wasn't sure how this is going to work when you told me about it. It's become my favorite thing, seeing those come in. And then it's always fun because both you or I could answer them and you can kind of tell uh, uh, from the tone who it is that they're talking with. yeah that's easy to do all right so we will start with the fact that all right pac-12 refs have i'm sorry pac-12 yeah pac-12 referees in football have been notorious to to say the least they have been talked about they have been discussed more than probably anything else else besides larry scott right and the TV deals and all of that. That's the thing. And Pac-12 football refs have just been just maligned, deservingly so, because uh, who, what, what's the head of the referee's name? Do, do you remember the one who, he, he has a total of two games of on-field experience, the head of the refs, while every other, comp, every one of the other Power Five conferences, their referees have at least their head of referees has at least two decades of on-field experience. Right, you're talking about David Coleman, the Pac-12 Conference Vice President of Officiating. Um, yeah, yeah, he he. Uh, I, that's who I believe you're referencing. There was a big yes. thing written by um, by John Wilner uh, about how he completely lacks Power Five in-game experience. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's an issue for sure. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so here is the play. Here is the play that led because Pac-12 football refs were clearly outshining Pac-12 basketball refs. So, you know, so they made they wanted to make sure that they got a chance to have their, you know, time in the sun too. This is Cal versus who is this? Ralph, who is this? Yeah, that's who it was. That's who it was. It was Cal versus Colorado. The ball hits the the Colorado player, hits the ball off the backboard, and then it hits the rim. And then the Cal player then still, I'm sorry, yeah, the Cal player then hits the ball. So it's already a goal 10 after it hits, as soon as it hits the backboard. It doesn't even have to be on the way down yet. If it hits the backboard and then you hit the ball, it's a goaltending period. So, but then it was on the way down, hit the rim. If you touch the ball while it's on the rim, it's a goaltending too. So it was three levels of goaltending and they missed all of it and Cal lost the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... <laughs> I can't continue to make excuses for the for the officiating in in the conference. The complaining about the officiating is always pretty um, prevalent. I know that you know Bobby Hurley's gotten in trouble a couple of times. Sean Miller uh, is definitely somebody who's gotten on the the, the Pac-12 refs quite a bit uh, this year. I have seen more people complaining about the basketball officiating than ever before. And uh, it led me to ask, you know, are we just getting whinier as a people or is something really afoot? Is it actually, is it actually getting worse? And, and, and part of me is starting to wonder if the lack of routine due to COVID is actually has some effect on the way that officials officiate as well, because, you know, I've watched a couple of these games recently and, and the consistency just isn't there. Like some of these games aren't even consistently bad. They just kind of ebb and flow between egregious and acceptable. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that, that call is pretty obvious. The ball's on the rim, you know, yeah, and of course, and it was off the, off the backboard, you know, everything about that, e- even the way the ball changes direction in that it's making impact with the iron and him at the same time. Um, it, it would seem to be pretty academic. us is okay so which is worse that goaltending call or the washington state usc the targeting call that then got reversed by by a man sitting on his couch calling into the replay center well the i'm I'm obviously going to go with the football issue being especially because cal is uh three and 14 this year. And so it's not necessarily something that's going to change the trajectory. No, 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 of, no. It was Colorado of, that lost. I know. I know, but it's not going to change the trajectory of Cal or Colorado season. Cause Colorado is, you know, they're 16 and seven overall. They're 10 and six in the conference. That one game, it w- wouldn't change anything other than being one game ahead of Stanford and in, in alone in fourth place instead of tied for fourth place. And so, yeah, but it could you know, affect your tournament life though. Yeah, but it doesn't affect it doesn't affect you the way that that affected Washington State that oh, season. Oh yeah, because they would have gotten a um a a, a a New Year's Six game. 
Yes, yes. And so I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, that, that's not to dismiss Colorado basketball or Cal basketball. But when you're talking about USC, which is kind of the crown jewel of the Pac-12 South as far as branding and maybe the Pac-12 overall, arguably, and Washington State, a team that was actually in competition to to be part of the college football playoff, you actually had someone call in and override something that kept the Pac-12 from making a bunch of money. So it's not just egregious for that one school in particular. It hurt the entire conference. And that th- this is just a bad basketball call. It didn't take anything away from, from the conference as a whole the way the, uh, the, the, the football officiating error and replay error did. Yeah. Um, so do you believe that the next commissioner will be, will solve the officiating problem? No, because solving the officiating problem would have to include regaining the trust of the fan base. And I think when it's been so bad for so long, I, I don't know if it's possible to forgive and forget for a lot of people. So you're never going to have anything but hyper scrutiny of the Pac-12 basketball and football officials. Uh, the best that you can hope for at this point is a little bit of relief. And that's outside of any of the natural fandom of just believing that every call is going against you. This is actual like human error and stuff like that, that we're yeah. talking about eight to 10 years of consistently believing like you're the worst conference in all of sports in the major sports. And, uh, and that doesn't just go away even with better performance. It's going to be like the, the battered wife syndrome, you know? Yeah, dude, Pac-12 fans, some of them, I'm not one of these people, but some of them, they sound like, you know, Cubs fans or Atlanta fans where they just expect bad things to happen to them. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, the Atlanta Falcons fans. Of course, we lost a 28 to three lead. The Atlanta Braves, of course, we lost the lead to the Dodgers. This is what we do. And Cubs fans where they just knew that some kind of way the rug was rug was going to slip from out underneath them, that they expected all the bad things in life to happen to them. That's where I feel like Pac-12 fans are right right now. I have not become that cynical. And truthfully, I would have I, I promise you I would have if they had retained Larry Scott like that would have broken my spirit. I have to be honest, like that would have been the thing that just I was like, okay, I quit, dude. Like I, I, aside from my Oregon Ducks, like I have to find something else. Like we, we would have had to just change this from the Pac-12 apostles to like the college football apostles to just, yeah. I feel you on that. I feel you. I um, I did uh, I did want to bring this up because this is it's the tail end of Larry Scott's tenure. But I feel like ultimately it's part of his legacy. One of the biggest issues with uh, the major revenue generating sports is that no one has ever been able to sustain success regardless of the talent level. And I'm looking at the Pac-12 basketball standings right now, and it's just a nightmare, George. The bottom four teams are Washington State. And what Washington State alum would you consider probably a top 10 player in the NBA right now? Clay Thompson, right? Uh, and then, uh, and then you have Arizona state in James Harden. 10th, 
in 10th place, James Harden, and you have the emergence of Lou Dort, plus two new five stars that have been recruited to uh, to, to ASU. And so things are kind of looking up uh, for them as far as recruiting-wise and NBA draft potential. And then in 11th place, in 11th place right now in the Pac-12, you have University of Washington, which uh, has probably the most first-round picks, I'm guessing, of any Pac-12 school maybe in the last three four years yes as far as basketball goes one pick over including a number one pick yeah yeah and yeah and they can't win okay and then who's the 12 team cal cal home of jalen brown cal home of you know uh the, the amazing recruiting classes of about four or five years ago uh and so you have um alan crab and oh, yeah. <laughs> It's whole, it's horrific, man. And then, and then, even worse, one of the biggest Pac-12 basketball brands um, is is Utah, and they're sitting at nine and nine overall, and six and eight in the conference. That rounds out the bottom five teams in the conference, and and in the top six, hold coming in at number six is University of Arizona, right now. So it, it's it's the LA schools are just barely holding this conference's head above water right now. Whoa, 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 whoa! You you better put some res- you better put some respect okay. on the name of the of the multiple year. Pac-12 champs, along with the team that consistently goes further than any other Pac-12 team in the last, what, 10 years in a tournament? Okay, put put, put some respect on Dana Altman's name, please. Okay, go on. I I feel you. I don't feel like they're probably in contention. Uh, the I, I think that they're right where they probably should be in uh in in third place right now i do think the two la schools are the best in the conference right now but they are the anomaly to the point i'm trying to make about year-to-year consistency within the sport of basketball especially with all of the ridiculous nba talent that continues to come out of this conference and and if i'm remembering correctly i think that there were like nine first round picks from the pac-12 just in last year's nba draft yeah and And so no go on no, I just I so you know uh, basically outside of the University of Oregon, the consistency of the basketball, despite the level of talent in this conference, is so ridiculous. And then when you just look at the standings this year, it's just a perfect microcosm right now on February nineteenth, as we're recording this, to show you that that even these getting these good players it hasn't been able to be something that translates to success for the Pac-12 overall. And there are some people that could probably make an argument that Larry Scott has nothing to do with that. But I, I, it, it, with this much evidence that, uh, that all of these schools within the Pac-12 in all of these different sports continue to not be able to maximize the talent available to them, I would say that it, it just goes to uh, add it to the pile, I guess. Yeah. Um, that leads us to the the Pac-12 commissioner uh, hot board, if you will, from John Wilner. He put out six names because, my, mind you, there have been people who have who have suggested people like Jen Cohen from Washington, um, Rob Mullins from Oregon, you know, uh, uh, for a- ASU's athletic director. They have mentioned those names, but Wilner has been pretty consistent because remember they hired a search firm and that overall the conference didn't want a sitting 
uh, a sitting person affiliated with a school just to make sure things don't look funny, you know, so everybody feels like that they're represented equally. So he put out a list of six names and he just doesn't, I can tell you this about, uh, about John Wilner. He didn't pull these names out of his ass. He like, he didn't pull them out of thin air. You know what I mean? Like there's some reason why each of these six people is on here. So the first person he put up there is Bob Bowsley, who is the current big 12 commissioner. He spent 10 years plus, I'm sorry, 30 years plus as an athletic director last six at Stanford. Um, and was the architect of the, their reclamation project with, uh, Harbaugh and now David Shaw and all of that. And so, but why would he leave the Pac-12, the Big Ten for the Pac-12? And he's like, we're not sure he would. He's 69. So maybe he just wants a new challenge, but that that's about it. Um, next one, Greg Byrne, which is a name that we've heard a lot of, right? He yeah. is um, Alabama's athletic director. And his father, Bill, was Oregon's athletic director. He attended Sheldon High School, which is in Eugene. Hold up. Uh, he worked for Oregon, Oregon State, and spent seven years as Arizona's AD. Okay, I'm not mad at Greg, Greg Byrne already. Not, and, and, and not because of the Oregon thing. But because he was at Alabama, he understands how important that this is. So, you know, he gets the it just matters more mentality. And Alabama's good in basketball now, too. Yes. Um, I think it's important to to recognize the terms in which Greg Byrne left Arizona as athletic director for Alabama. There's uh, about three or four simultaneous scandals that were going on there at the time that had he not gone to Alabama, he'd have to really um, made some type of attempt to answer for. So he, he Pete Carroll them. I mean, when, when Pete left USC for the Seahawks. Yeah. Cause you, you had, you had rich rods affair. You had the weird pastor next story. And it, I mean, highly recommend looking that up to get the very strange details. You had a track coach end up in prison and then you had the whole Sean Miller ESPN reporting DeAndre Ayton took money and then Book Richardson going to jail. Um, but that at the same time, him more because he's willing to do what it takes to win. <laughs> they did, but they they did have a couple. They they had a couple of real good years in in basketball with him there. The I think the Pac-12 South shared title or whatever they had that was um, in his tenure as far as football. Yep. Uh, and then they they definitely. Um, I think they, they came pretty close to winning the College World Series with their baseball team. They might have lost to Coastal Carolina or something like that, if I remember correctly. And so there, there was some success while he was there, uh, including like the, the women's basketball team is on the come up and, and some other stuff. But, you know, the, you do have to ask yourself, like, all right, 
was there any correlation between his presence there and everything sort of slipping through the cracks all at the same time. But as far as a candidate, Arizona state fans might not be happy with it, but they don't get to decide, you know, it's, it's really up to everybody. And then university of Arizona fans might not like the idea of Gene Smith, who was another candidate on, on, on that list, having been uh, the former athletic director for Arizona state university. So, yeah, you know, someone's going to be unhappy. Um, next one, Randy Freer. He's a former, he was formerly over at Fox Sports and he's the president, well, sorry, former Fox Sports president and the Hulu CEO. And according to their internal documents, John Woodard has got some damn internal documents um, published by the, the hotline that he's apparently on the list and they have not ruled out hiring somebody just from the media world. Which I would not be. And granted, they, he's got no on-campus experience, but he's gonna bring the he's gonna bring that checkbook with him, buddy. He's gonna bring that checkbook, and we're gonna get exposure. So I'm not opposed to that either. Um, next up is well, well, actually, do you have a comment on Freer? I just think that with with everybody out there, uh, as far as the people who are making this hire possibly subscribing to the idea that it needs to be somebody who had some involvement on campus with collegiate athletics, that he might not necessarily be what they're looking for because, you know, they might need to bring him in regardless if they want to continue to have the network. So I I think that bringing him in alongside somebody else would be the move. But if they're trying to bring somebody in, yes, paying $5 million anyway, (laughs) two jobs. Amen to that. Oh my goodness. Um, I've been saying, how long have I been saying is split the job up into the actual two jobs. Like stop trying to have somebody be a specialist in two areas. When, like like a brain surgeon doesn't do orthopedic work too at the same level. Like let the brain surgeon do the brain and spinal cord and all that stuff, and then let the orthopedic surgeon take care of your joints. Yeah. What? So what was the one thing that you would say that uh, Larry Scott was good at, or at least at least uh, stuck out? That he was good at making Olympic sports important. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He was good at getting the peripheral sports out into the forefront which at is times, what he did with tennis. which is exactly, which is where he came from. So at the end of the day, the thing that he actually ended up doing well is the thing that made most sense for him and his background, everything else he tried to do. He just did a poor job of executing on, on ideas. He had a massive issue with, uh, with, with follow through and with making things happen and making connections and keeping uh, people engaged and everything like that. And so, you know, but he did do a thing well. And so sometimes people's backgrounds can be telling. If you bring somebody in, and I think the presidents know this now and the athletic directors know this now, you bring somebody in with no experience in how to relate to running an athletic department and the budgeting it takes and everything like that, then you're probably asking for some trouble or you're prioritizing a different area. And so if you bring somebody in who is a, a, a television network president or work with streaming services or something like that, then you're saying that that's your priority. And if the other things don't get executed well, then that's something that you should have known from your experience with Larry Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other person is Gloria Navarez, who is the West Coast Conference commissioner. Um I'm going to tell you, I'm not in favor of that at all. Um, And I think I'm with you. And I think the big glaring reason why is 
the West Coast Conference doesn't play football. Football, exactly. People, people were going to be like, oh, well, oh, he names a woman, and then all of a sudden he's not in favor of it. No, she don't know. The, the West Coast Conference does not play football. If you don't have anything to do with football, and oh, well, well, you just said that about Freer. Freer has an expertise. We just said bring him in as a secondary person to do the other job if necessary. But he's got a specialty that you need. You need eyeballs and you need football. Those are the two things that you need. So sorry, Gloria Navarro. I can't even read the rest of the resume because, yeah. Um, next person, Gene Smith, Ohio State Athletic Director, like Ralph brought up. Um, and also Andrea Williams, the COO of the college football playoff. The that one's intriguing candidate. to me. Huh? That one's very intriguing to me. Yes. Very intriguing. I don't mind that either. I'm like, oh, COO of the college football playoff. Oh, so she knows the inner workings. She understands how it works. And she may be able to design something to make sure that the Pac-12 is putting itself in an optimal uh, place to get back into the college football playoff year in and year out. So, And she was, she was a big sky commissioner for a couple of years. And people might say, like, oh, well, the Big Sky has football. It's not like the WCC, but it, but it's still really small. But, yeah, but guess what? It has football, and what states is it in? It's in Washington. Yeah. It's in Oregon. It's in California. It's in, I, I think, Southern Utah, right? Southern Utah University is Big yeah. Sky. Yeah. So it's in Utah. It's in Arizona. It's in all of the states. Yep. That you're con- so she, she has already – led a conference uh, that exists in the states that the Pac-12 is in. So she would be familiar with the area and she works on the football side of things now, which, which would go a long way into showing that football is king. Right. And she working for a smaller conference. She would also know that the best benefit for a smaller conference is just to get in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Okay, so out of those candidates, who would you choose? For me, it would be it, it's a coin flip between um I think it's a coin flip between bringing in the the head of the college football playoff or Gene Smith. To me, that's the that's a coin flip. I I can't ignore the the tr- struggles that Greg Byrne left uh in his wake at University of Arizona. Um, that that's a little tough for me to stomach. Okay. Me, I want, I'm going to go with exactly what I've said from the beginning. I'm going to go with Andrea Williams as PAC 12 commissioner, right? Uh, as you can call them, the, the, the president, whatever the hell else that you want to call her, because she has experience. She was a former athlete at Texas A&M. She worked for, uh, she spent 16 years in the Big Ten working for Jim Delaney, who got it all going um, in the Big Ten, and that Lee, and then, but I'm, but she's not going to be the sole person in charge. She's going to be the sole person in charge of of all the stuff in the conference. But then I'm hiring a media person to be their own separate job, and that's going to be Randy Freer. So I'm hired for $5 million. I'm getting two people who are experts in what they do. And I granted, I read a book, I remember, by, by Ben Horowitz. I uh, forget the, the name of it. He's written a 
bunch of books. And he talked about that there are two types of CEOs. There are wartime CEOs and peacetime CEOs. Most CEOs are not both type of people. That you have people like, um, oh, what's Apple's old CEO? Um, Jobs? Yeah, Jobs. It said he was a wartime CEO. Like that he was going to get it done find ways when you only had one shot, like he was a wartime CEO. And you also have uh, people like Phil, Phil Knight, who's been a wartime CEO, but he's been good in peacetime as well. Like he's one of people who can do both. And that's why sometimes you see people, CEOs step down from a board, step down and then go back up, depending on what's happening in the company. Like they'll step down, from being CEO to being chairman of the board or something like that, and then go back up during certain times. So there are peacetime and there are wartime. And the Pac-12 needs a wartime CEO. You have one shot, like somebody who is going to be willing to no, no risk it, no biscuit, but it's going to be calculated at the same time. Um, the next thing up, this is a... Oh, actually, we'll let, let let's finish on the Pac-12 first, and then we'll get on the the other stuff. So this happened. The Pac-12 network, they put out a tweet. They put out a tweet when uh, McKinley Wright the fourth. When McKinley Wright the fourth, here's the tweet. Uh, that he is the only Pac-12 hoops player ever with 1,600 points and 600 rebounds and 600 assists. And that did not sit well with Kelly Graves, who is Oregon's women's basketball coach, because they are, because this lady right here, Sabrina Ionescu, did it and did it more. I mean, her stats are absolutely stupid. One of the five greatest women's basketball, college basketball players of all time. And, and clearly, I mean, like, uh, I mean, who else are you going to put in front of her in college? Maybe like Cheryl, Cheryl Miller in the Pac-12? But Yeah, yeah, in the Pac-12, that's probably, yeah. It, women's basketball is fantastic in the Pac-12, but it, it, it hasn't produced the transcendent stars the way that Tennessee and UConn have. Yeah. But Sabrina Ionescu has been one of those players. Like she is even oh, good in the WNBA so far and all that. So I look at this. So what do you make of the oversight though? Larry Scott laid so many people off that I, I'm not sure that the best of the best are doing that job right now as far as managing the, the Pac-12's socials. Um, I mean, they, they, they axed everybody. And so um, I, I look at stuff like that and I say, if you had a full office, if you were able to pay everybody's salaries, you might have had somebody around to say, like, hey, don't send that. Oh, oh, or 
or people who are happy and well paid at their job. That way they're not uh, on indeed.com while they're also sending, <laughs> sending tweets out too. that's part of I'm serious. That's part of the reason how jobs aren't done as well, because people are focusing on trying to get the next job while they're doing that job. So instead of excelling at that job, they're like, man, I don't know how long this is going to last. They got one foot in the door, one foot out the door because you have made it that way. But obviously there's like a very specific level of effort going on there because that's a that's a that's quite a stat. Like you had to be planning to be able to tweet that out unless unless University of Colorado's SID um, had just emailed. the. So maybe it's very possible. And there, he's a really thorough guy and they're a great sports department but maybe it's possible should the women not be counted of course women should be counted but i'm saying it's possible that the sid from from colorado sent something over via email to celebrate mckinley Wright, and then they just cut and paste it in without paying any attention to it sabrina ionescu you could just include a picture of her in every pac-12 tweet from (laughs) here on out because it was you know, we've we've run into this before of where like Oregon didn't have her jersey, and then it was like, yeah, but what what are they gonna do? Hawk a women's basketball jersey, and then the moment they did, it sold out immediately. Yep. Um, she she should be at the forefront of everything the Pac-12 does at, at, at this point. You know, she she is a transcendent athlete. She's a star. Yeah, and, and she's relevant too. Like if you look at Vanessa Bryant's Twitter how relevant she was. She spoke at Kobe Bryant's funeral. Right. I mean, that's Michael Jordan, Shaq, Vanessa, um, uh, oh, girl from UConn, um, uh, Tarasi. Tarasi. I mean, like, the, the, the list was short. Right. Rob Palinka, like the, the list was extremely short and she was on that list and it was during the tournament. Oh, no, 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 no. It was during the regular Pac-12 flight. They had to fly her on a private jet down the way they could get back to the Bay Area so she could make the game that night. So here, I, 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 the number one reply to that tweet was somebody uh, at P. Cammers on uh, Twitter just said the greatest to play the college game and in their own conference. That's some serious ignorance. I think that 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 probably uh, encapsulates everything that you uh, you're thinking there. Yep. Okay. Now on to the thing that got me and Ralph in like a multi-day fight and and actually still in it and still in it and. <laughs> and rubbed him the wrong way, even at the beginning of this podcast, um, is Ty- uh, Tyler Shug, or Oregon, former Oregon quarterback, is in the transfer porter- portal. He's leaving the Ducks to go somewhere else. And I have thought that like I didn't want him to leave. And it's funny because remember on the last podcast, Ralph said, I was like, I don't mind transfer culture. Cause we were talking about Jimmy Lake. And he was like, I don't, I don't believe you, George. I don't believe you. And then less than a week later, we find ourselves in the situation where an Oregon player is leaving. And what did I say to you, Ralph? 
because you brought up because we talked about the transfer culture thing. What did I say about being in favor or not in favor about transfer culture? Cause I want the people to know that I'm being consistent. Well, you said a lot, so it's been hard for me to keep everything straight, but I will give you credit in that when it was announced, your immediate thought was to wish him the best. Im- immediately, like you're, you never, you didn't even flinch. Yeah, like he, he should have the right to leave if he wants to leave. I don't want him to leave, but he should have that. That's right. what I don't believe. That's what I don't. So we're now we're in the now. Now, instead of me thinking that I was wrong, I think you're just in line number two. I think you were. <laughs> I'm in line number two? What? You're in line number two. <laughs> oh, so, so now I'm Ted Cruz. Okay, come on. Yes, yes. <laughs> when it comes to Tyler Shuck, Shuck, by the way, Shuck, when it comes to Tyler Shuck, you are you are currently the Ted Cruz uh, of the podcast. <laughs> I don't. I think that you weren't all that broken up because you you were you were happy to say who's next. I think you looked at his play last year and you said, "All right, this is this isn't good enough. I don't see it getting any better. Let's see what else they got." That is not what I thought. I promise you, that's not what I thought. So if you look at Tyler Shug's numbers, right? If if you look at his numbers, his numbers, and I know that you probably have them memorized. So, <laughs> so tell, I know you have them memorized, don't you? No. Yes, you do. You damn lie. Okay, so I, what I'm are, thirteen and five, thirteen touchdowns, five interceptions, like eighteen hundred passing yards, something like that. Oh, sixty-three ish percent completion, sixty-three and a half. Yeah, exactly. For those not watching on video, he just rattled it off. He didn't. He didn't. His head, his head, his arms are folded. He didn't <laughs> type on the computer or anything. It, it, like I normally can't see his hands, but I tell you, I can tell that his arms are folded right now. So he he knew this. He had committed these numbers to memory. And just knowing a thing doesn't mean I I went out of my way to memorize it. <laughs> well, you've you've said it so many times to so many okay. people because you've defended him. And you, you have to know that Ralph loves Arizona, each Arizona kid besides <laughs> uh uh Spencer Rattler, like his own kid. Whoa. I like Spencer. I didn't say you didn't like Spencer. I said you love the rest of them like they're your own kids. I didn't say you didn't like Spencer. But come on. But but the but the way you love Tyler Shug is not the way you love Spencer Rattler. You don't have to love somebody to say their last name correctly. (laughs) What that's how you do I need to pronounce Shuck. Oregon Duck. Shuck. Where's the pronunciation? Because I don't want to disrespect him in any way. Like, it, it, this is not my intention. But I've not seen a pronunciation guide for this. Shuck, like, his last name rhymes with what you said at his last throw against Oregon State. <laughs> it sucks. Well, that and so- one that serves with an F, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, look, here's the, here's the truth. Is that I believe that Tyler Shuck had the did I say it wrong again? No, you got it. You nailed it. That he should have the right to transfer. I have no hard feelings, none of that. But there is part of me that does believe that he was afraid of competition on some or, or, or let the competition bother him on some level. 
because he was named the starting quarterback. He started six games. Anthony Brown, who they brought in as a grad transfer, did not play one single solitary meaningful snap until the Pac-12 championship game. And then in the bowl game, I do believe that Mario Cristobal and the staff handled the quarterback situation wrong. I think that the game got out of hand with all the freaking fumbles. They were all over the place. They didn't know what to do. And they handled it poorly. So Tyler Shuck got embarrassed in, in Arizona. The first game that his parents got a chance to see him play in person or his family, friends, whoever got a chance to see him play in person all year. I thought that that played a big part and I wish the kid the uh, best, but he was coming into spring ball. He was going to be taking the first snap of spring ball. He was going to get a chance to win the job again. And he didn't want to compete with it for what, for whatever reason. And so I don't begrudge the kid, but I, I mean, but that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know that you don't begrudge him at all. And I know that it's, you know, making fun of it, but I know you, you never would under any circumstances or anything like that. Um, I think that if you, it's cliche, but if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. And I am not, I don't have any feelings about transfer culture, good or bad. Um, I think that at the end of the day, sticking something out, if you can, if it's not objectively and practically a better decision. And some, sometimes people just are, they, they can stand to take a risk, right? Because some of these transfers are just risks and they're betting on themselves, but some of them are practical. Some of them just make sense. You look at a depth chart, you look at a system, you look at a coach, you look at their scheme, you look at its proximity, you look at the culture. There's a lot of kids committing to places in the country that they've never even been to right now. They might not necessarily be a literal culture fit not like how coaches use culture as a weapon they say like he didn't fit the culture yeah they're like yeah no he didn't agree with something i said and so they left but i'm talking about the actual culture of a place some kids from california might not necessarily fit in in tuscaloosa the way that g harris did and so you know it it's uh everything right now is is up in the air some are practical some are risk i don't really like the idea of anybody transferring if you can stick it out i think that you you probably should and try to persevere um but at the end of the day it doesn't bother me you do you it's your decision i'm not going to i'm not going to cry about it but uh, it he would have probably been the starter you would have probably been the starter. You're not wrong about that. But this thing that keeps happening in college football of college coaches telling these kids when they're in high school that they are the best developers of talent in the country, and that's why you need to come out there, and then immediately letting their insecurity show when someone comes available on the grad transfer market, then they recruit over their own recruits from the top down, not going and getting someone better from high school, but okay. going – 
someone who matured at a Penn state or matured at an Ohio state and trying to get them to come in over. And I think it just creates issues. Cal did it with monster and Garbers yeah. and it was kind of messy and monsters made another transfer. Arizona state did it. Okay. And it was what a giant happened with the Gar- Garbers. Garbers, Garbers is one of my Garbers, guys. One of Garbers my won guys. the battle. Yep, Garbers won the battle. Manny Wilkins won the battle. And so I'm saying, it, like, the payoff, you rock the boat, and I can't tell you whether or not it made the the incumbent players, the younger players, better for having the competition. But you I can't do say know that Garbers was better. You can't say that Garbers was better. I can't say that Monster made him better. No, no, I don't think that Monster made him so better. That, so but that's what I'm saying. Are, are you, You're taking a risk. Do you think that Chase Garbers would be as good as he is right now if they didn't bring in Devin monster over the top of him to try to take that job. That's my thing is you're not showing confidence in the kids that you recruit. You create a situation in which you rock the boat when you're always going out looking for a quarterback, no matter how good your quarterback was. And now we have a weird situation at Washington state where Jaden Delora had a fantastic freshman year. Everybody's paying attention to him. Everybody's excited about Washington state football. Then they go out and get Jared Guarantano. And then immediately afterward, Jaden Delora gets a DUI. See, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, that transfer doesn't make sense to me. You already have an established quarterback. Like, like that's where it doesn't make sense. So you're where, saying the and, difference and, between Shuck, the difference between Shuck and Jaden Delora is Jaden Delora played four games. Yeah, and and but, but what you saw in those four games, would you say that what you saw in those four games leads you to believe that he's a starting quarterback and a good one that will be in the Pac-12? Yes. So here's my question to you. If they had taken Anthony Brown, if Oregon had taken Anthony Brown this offseason instead of last offseason. Would I would I think that made sense? W- yes. Yes, I would think that made sense. Based upon what I saw from Tyler Shook last year, yes. So you're saying Jaden Delora looked so much better than Tyler Shook in the year 2020 that bringing in Anthony Brown makes more sense to you than bringing in Jared Guarantano. Hmm. Okay. 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 Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. You, you, you just posed it a different way because, okay. From the outside looking in, right. There were times at, after the first three games, like there were times where you would see Tyler Shuck play and you were like, Whoa, what is that throw? Like, and he looked like he lacked the contact courage at times. Like, he's got the physical ability. Like, there's no question whether the dude can make all the throws, do all the mechanics that you need of a quarterback. But whenever he was going to be touched by the defense and had to complete a pass, pass was airmailed or something, something, it just was not landing where it was supposed to land. So... And that those things can be be fixed, but it were it was time, especially in the Pac-12 championship and the game before that too. Oregon literally could not throw the football because he had lost all confidence. So I'm not sure whether Tyler could get that confidence back at Oregon. Maybe he needs to press the entire reset button, but he was, but his confidence was on zero. Toward the at the very end of the well, not 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 zero. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but it it was significantly shaken. Like it was fifty percent or lower 
of where it needed to to be because he did complete some passes in the bowl game. But he was seven for eight before he got taken off the field for two quarters. Yeah, and and the other thing that people miss when they're watching film and they're looking at stats sometimes is that they don't like they don't see all the opportunity costs. If that makes sense, like the times where the a quarterback makes a decision that ends up in a completion, but it should have been a touchdown. Do you like that? The, that where you made a decision that didn't turn out bad, but it wasn't the optimal decision. And at the quarterback position, you have to make optimal decisions, not at a hundred percent rate, but you have to make them at a very high clip for a team to be a yep. national championship caliber team, which Oregon is trying to be. So if they are, I mean, like if you look at Oregon's linebackers right now, right? They got um, uh, Noah Noah Sewell, who just took a, a older guy spot as a true freshman. You have um, Slade Matu Mata Atia, however you say his, say his name. And then they got another linebacker spot who's going to be taken probably by Justin Flo. And they're still trying to bring in Henry To'oto'o. Like, they are trying for competition at every single spot. So it's And I think not- it makes sense at every spot except for two positions, quarterback and kicker. Because of the because of the uniqueness of those positions, competition is one thing. Trying to recruit over somebody from above is another, and I hate it every time it happens. Who was I rooting for to start at Utah this year? Uh, Jake Bentley. No, Rising. No, no, no. Oh no, no, no. Rising. The, 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 yeah, yeah. Cameron yeah. Rising. Like I like the every, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it happened to Manny Wilkins, when it happened to Chase Garbers, uh, now, right now when it's it when it happened to Shuck, and right now when it's happening up at Washington State, and in the case of of Rising and Bentley, I'm always going to root for the kid who stayed or went there or made the decision out of high school. Um, you know, and and it's the thing is, it's going to happen where Shuck probably goes somewhere where there's somebody younger that's been there, and then he's going to be in the Anthony Brown situation. <laughs> and he's got at, three years left though, instead of one. Right, but so here, here's my thing: is that I think it was okay for Tyler Shuck to to believe that they weren't going to trust him, and he might be facing more of the same. And I believe that for two reasons, because they called for a guy that you're saying is contact averse. They called 50 plus design runs for him in six games. So he was taking hits, right? But then when it came time to run that goal line offense, when things are at their most important in the last couple of games in very important football games, who was the guy? Anthony Brown in the Pac-12 championship and in the um, ball game. Right, so you're calling design runs. You're calling design runs when you're at your own thirty, and you're and and I, you and I had a million conversations about how I didn't necessarily think that was the best use of Chuck. And then you're saying that he was even in later situations. I thought, I thought he was a better for, athlete than than he was. 
Yeah, he did. He he. I think I think he I think he did his best. It was like they ran a kind of an offense like that with uh, Brock Osweiler uh, at Arizona State with Noel Mazzoni back in the day, and you see a six eight guy taking off on these runs. And while he could do it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want him to always be doing it. But then you're saying that he also did. He, he didn't really like taking taking contact all that much when he would drop back, and so that should show you that maybe he wasn't necessarily the best fit. They had they had done the 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 Pac twelve championship and the bowl game where they're bringing. To Anthony Brown in situations that really matter, they left you on the bench for a couple of quarters in the bowl game, and then you and I both know that in a situation where you're not going to be the guy or have a chance to be the guy, a coaching staff will usually be honest with you. And when Anthony Brown opted to come back for another year, because technically he should be done, when he opted to come back for another year, Oregon's coaching staff could have told him, "Hey, you're not going to be the guy here." But not only did he decide to come back for a super senior year as allowed by the NCAA, he decided that Oregon was going to be that place. And you could say because he's you, he's more about competition than Tyler Shuck is. Well, I'm going to say that he understands. He probably has the inside track, and coaches probably told him you have a you have a home here. He only has one year to, yeah, to make. They're going to. I I don't think that they're going to make the same mistake and go and do that again, like having two quarterbacks. But here's the truth. Had Tyler Shuck played better, this wouldn't even be a competition. He started six straight games. Six straight games. Like, there there would be no competition if he eliminated the competition. All right. Um, Next thing up is recruiting. Because recruiting has been a, a crucial topic because it's the lifeblood of every program it is um like that's how you make um like that's how you get better like coaching matters but we've gone over how the stars work and how five stars are more likely to be drafted make the hall of fame every single thing versus um Versus three and two stars and all that. So fact, facts are facts. If you want to argue about that, go talk to your pastor or somebody. It's also a reflection of relevance. So not not just an indication of future success, but if kids are committing to you now that are big time recruits, then then it shows that you got some juice, and that's important. Yep. Um, the okay. So when we talk about classes, right? There have been like there are some schools in the Pac-12 that took very small classes, like Arizona State. How many commits they have? Like thirteen, and then yeah, had was... a few a few transfers, and yeah. then you had um, Washington take fourteen or fifteen or sixteen, something like that, and then have a few transfers as well. The maximum allowable is twenty-five scholarships. However, that has not been the case for some of these schools. Like you have Alabama who signed. 27 this year plus they have uh they say that they have room for JT Tuomalau and for uh Henry Tooto that would be like that doesn't even make sense to when when people sit down and look at it on its on its face so what it is is from everything I've understand that there is a special rule that 
in the NCAA about whether you were a non-recruited athlete or a recruited athlete. Non-recruited athlete means that you either weren't, uh, didn't have an on-campus visit, um, or like there, there are, or the coach didn't actually meet with you at your school. Like there are a few exceptions in this, right? And if you're not one of those kids, then you can actually be used as a blue shirt, which means that you essentially come on as a walk-on, right? Kind of. You can like practice with the team, but your scholarship doesn't kick in until, until- the next year. Yeah, yeah. Until the next year, or in some cases, you're backdated. Um, yeah, yeah. You're you're backdated, and it kicks in. I think it can even kick in second semester. Yep. Uh, but you count toward the following year's class that way. Yeah, and they continue to do that as it works. So the fact that they may be able to bring in twenty nine, like I don't begrudge Alabama for doing this. Do you know who I begrudge for it? Who? The Pac-12 teams for not doing it. Like anybody, if this is within the rules, I'm a person that believes follow the rules to a T. Like okay. if, if 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 we're gonna have exceptions, I'm gonna follow the rules to to the letter of the law. Like that's why I don't have problems with people lining up in unbalanced uh formations, substitute numbers, all of that stuff. Like aside from when L- Lane Kiffin like put one of his best players in a different number, and he's just like, come on, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> like that's just weak. But I'm talking about like you you play within the rules, right? Yeah. But then you do play with honor and integrity. Cause I've been watching Co- Cobra Kai. Honor, not just show no mercy. You must play with honor. So, but at the same time, you should follow the letter of the law, especially when it comes to recruiting to get the most bodies on on campus as possible. But the, but it does take Alabama being Alabama too, to be able to sell these kids on that. This is the best way for them to get on campus and possibly play at Alabama rather than going the traditional route. Right. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things about blue shirting is it's you can't have taken an official. Yeah. So ASU blue shirted their only recruit from the state of Arizona last year. Will Schaefer, a, a linebacker. I know that USC has blue shirted a few offensive linemen um, in in the in the previous few years. So I think it's it exists in practice, but it's not as regularly used. And now teams are a little bit more gun shy about coming up against the number much less going over it because they want to be as open as possible to the transfer market, which has been extra volatile since the introduction of the portal. And then when you factor in the the pandemic, um, it, it has basically created a situation in which there are probably three, 400 college football players this year that should have a home and should be playing, but are going to be kept off of rosters completely because the portal's over full and the, the actual cap limit on who you can take and how hasn't been shifted um, with consideration to everything that's gone on the last couple of years. See, but they, I think they have to shift it because it's creating a bad situation for high school kids even because there were, 400 less 
uh, scholarships offered to, well, there were 400 less signees. So in 2019, I'm sorry, in 2019 and 2020, there were about 2,600 kids who received scholarships coming out of high school. This year, that number fell down to like 2,200. So over 400 less than the previous two years. And I look at that as a problem because that's less kids that are getting an opportunity who would normally get college scholarships. And I see that as a problem. And the NCAA is going to have to fix how they count transfers, particularly that there are so many kids in the transfer portal and they're allowing one time and they're going to allow one time transfers like that. They have to fix that that problem there. Yeah, I think with the volatility of the amount of churn that most programs are having, these are the very specific changes that I would like to see. I'd like to see 27 available scholarships for each class. So I would like to see two more. And I would like them to be designated to a, a certain amount of people who you can get from the preps ranks and a certain amount that you can get from uh, the transfer market, right? So this is what I'd like to see. I'd like to see the classes bumped to 27. I'd like to see that 20 of them have to come from the high school ranks, no matter what, that 20 of them have to be from the, from the prep ranks. And then five of them up to five of them can be, uh, from the transfer portal. So you can take up to five transfers. The other two, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I've never really gotten to anybody to buy in on the idea, but I believe that two of your scholarships should always be allotted to JUCO players because some people just don't have their shit together when they come out of high school, and some people aren't fully developed yet as a prospect who they're going to be until they hit the JUCO level. And one of the things that I've seen that's been driving me nuts over the last few years is JUCO football is completely being stomped out all across the country. And so if the, the NCAA could actually invest in trying to keep junior college football, a legitimate uh, thing throughout the United States in California and Arizona, where it's been completely canceled in Kansas, where it's at risk of, of having some of the same things happen to them. Like the NCAA can invest in keeping Juco going more people playing football, more options for bounce backs and more, more destinations and everything like that. But they, they haven't done that. And I think we might see Juco football go away altogether, which means you're going to have a lot of people miss out on opportunities to play college football at all. Um, yeah, yeah. That would absolutely be terrible. Um, next thing up is uh, Marcel Yates leaves Cal as the DB coach and goes to Oregon. Um, and they essentially traded, <laughs> you know, uh, DB coaches. He's been a pretty good recruiter. I texted um, a guy that I respect a lot, asked him about, Marcel Yates, he was like, no, he's a good coach and a good re recruiter. So w what do you make of all this coach switch, switch swapping all of this between Cal and Washington and what's been happening at other schools in the Pac-12 between, oh, the other between like Arizona State and USC who have been trying to swap coaches over the last couple of years and fighting and giving raises and promotions and all of that. 
Well, I mean, it's kind of cool because that's something that that's something that really gets juices flowing in the uh, in the SEC, right? Is if like, wow, how could somebody steal a position coach? You know, could, did someone really not have the loyalty to stay at Auburn? They'd really flip to Alabama. Like those conversations, people love that. And that's a big part of SEC culture. And a big part of a lot of other conferences is sort of the gamesmanship of trying to build your staff in that way and, and the drama that it brings and the additional storyline and people get to talk about stuff even more. I've never really been all that into the coaching carousel. Um, I think it's the least interesting thing about college football, but for some people it's the most interesting thing because it's actually the most relatable thing to their daily life is people switching jobs and climbing the ladder. It's they can relate a lot of basic uh, fans can relate to that part of it a lot more than they can relate to somebody laying out for a, for a pass in the back of the end zone after running a 40 in a, in four, two, right. That's not something your average fan can, can identify yeah. with, but they can identify with the idea of trying to really make it in the game uh, of coaching and the rat race of coaching. Um, so I think it's good. I think the more of that that happens in the Pac-12, it probably shows a level of instability, but it creates these storylines and it creates this drama that keeps the conference interesting as long as it's not coaches continually leaving the the Pac-12 to go to another conference like we just saw with Washington's defensive coordinator. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Um, all right, we got – okay, so – and when we were talking about recruiting class size, I missed one particular thing because, you know, on 24-7 and Rivals, they all have the crystal balls for predictions of kids and all of this. And you have been much maligned by Arizona State fans about recruiting and where you are on their recruiting and the state of Arizona and all of that stuff. They wanted to kick you in the balls a lot because you have been – you are in agreement with this statement, I believe, that you should recruit your own state. Like the best kids in your state should want to go to your school because it's more likely because kids are region overall. Obviously, there are some kids who will leave the, the region, but kids are regionally based for the most part. Like they want to stay closer to home in general, all of that. And Arizona schools do a very poor job of recruiting Arizona kids and more of them are becoming top level recruits and they are absolutely spacing on them. Uh, okay. So, uh, let me, let me, for the Put your nine, in your mouth. let me, the 900 time, let me try to outline what my view on this is. You should get the best players available. That's thing. Number one, you should get the best players available. That's what's going to help you win. The reason that the same teams are relevant every single year uh, at the top of the rankings or competing for the college football playoff is that they get the best players available. Period. Yep. Thing number two, your regional footprint matters. You have an advantage. It, it would be like me um, because my house is close to to one of the better elementary schools that my kids should have the advantage by going to those schools of, of having every advantage in, in their education, right? You take advantage of what's near to you. Yeah. Um, and, and for a lot of kids, proximity and, and regional familiarity 
actually does factor into their recruiting, hometown pride, all of that. Uh, that's why most schools in America, especially most taxpayer-funded institutions, are primarily constructed of people within a reasonable regional footprint, usually a tank of gas. Yeah. Right? If you get Fresno State, you're going to have a bunch of Central California kids. Yep. Right? If you get USC or UCLA, there's going to be a lot of kids from SoCal and the Inland Empire. Yep. Um, in Colorado, you know, you're going to have a lot of kids from the Mountain Plains area. Yep. Uh, but because the talent base isn't so big there, they have to go outside of that to, to other places. But Colorado's never going to be able to compete with schools in Texas and schools in California for kids who, who are crave their hometown. Yeah. Um, it's just regional recruiting is important. So as the talent in Arizona grows and it continues to every single year, back when I played high school football in Arizona, we had about one or two guys for every class that were good. When I was a sophomore in high school, when I was a freshman in high school, it was Bobby Wade. When I was a sophomore in high school, it was Richie Incognito. When I was, uh, uh, and then you had Terrell Suggs, who I played with. And then, you know, when I was a senior in high school, we had like uh, um, Nick Johnson. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick was out there. There's a couple of guys, right? And even then, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to went to Harvard, didn't go to a big big school or anything like that. Now, there are 10 D1 quarterbacks every single year. And like, 30 power five level kids. So Arizona state used to do a really good job of getting and competing for some of the top level guys, your, your Todd heaps and and stuff like that. Uh, But it fell off over time. And a lot of it can be drawn to, um, uh, you know, as Arizona's population grows, you assume some of the kids are going to be transplants. And in fact, a lot are. And so they might not necessarily have the regional alliances uh, of somebody who was a third, fourth generation Arizonan. So you have that excuse built in. And a lot of the coaches that you hire are going to be from out of state. They're not going to have any ties to Arizona either. Um, and so you bring in coaches from out of state who don't necessarily have a regional affinity. You have kids being raised up in Arizona who don't necessarily have a regional affinity. It makes recruiting harder. So the excuse is built in. The thing that I always get in trouble for is people think that I am saying Arizona State's not trying hard enough. And what they They say is, okay, but that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm even trying to say. I am saying that over the last 10 years, when Arizona State tries, they're not very good at it. That means they need to try harder. That's what you're saying. No, I'm saying you could try really hard at something that you are bad at, and you'll just be more of that. There are foundational and fundamental issues. Oh, so so you're saying that it's not an effort problem; it's a quality problem. There, there are certainly effort issues that factor into the quality problem. What I am saying is, I have personally found that it's a lot more error based than it is intent based. The idea that Arizona State or University of Arizona, for that matter, wouldn't want the best kids in their footprint is ridiculous. Of course they want the best kids, and then they have to compete with USD and other schools. So you're saying that it's an error. Like, for instance, hypothetically, if a kid had a scholarship offer from Arizona State and then he was going to cut down his list 
And in the process of cutting down his list, he contacts all the schools. If he wants to cut his list down to like eight, nine, 10, 11, however many it is, if he wants to cut his list down, he contacts the schools to say, yo, is this a committable offer or whatever? Cause he doesn't want to look stupid. So then, and then Arizona state's like, nah, nah, we don't want you. And then as soon as he gets off the phone, maybe a team like Oklahoma or Texas or Alabama offers him a scholarship immediately after he gets off the phone. Hypothetically, if that situation were to exist, that sounds to me very much like one that Arizona state would have found itself involved in that affects their perception in, in local recruiting. And hypothetically, if there was another situation in which uh, a, a kid who wasn't the next class up, but was actually one away. So a kid that was two classes away, that was going to be an elite recruit hypothetically uh, was, was somebody who said that he wanted to commit really early in the process. Hypothetically, you would think the Arizona state would put the pressure on him, uh, and hypothetically, if they don't, they might find that he commits to another Pac-12 school, and after he does that, gets offers from some of the other biggest programs in the country, thereby uh, uh, leaving <laughs> leaving uh, a school like Arizona State completely out of the mix. You know, something like that might be a thing as well. And so, oh, and you know, but, but mind you, these are all hypothetical, fictitious events that that, that would, would would never <laughs> right happen. right right so it has nothing with 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 arizona state my my issue isn't that i believe that they don't want or don't prioritize arizona kids i think they have the right mindset which is we are going to get the best kids and we're going to get them from wherever they just got a massive commit from a, a, a defensive back cornerback six foot three cornerback commit from florida and that adds to the list of kids that they've been able to draw on from florida i think you should get the best kids regardless of where they're at in the country so long as you have that reach but I will say that if you're going to deal locally, you want to make sure there's a certain way that you go about it. And when it it's not a process that involves anybody who really has any ties to Ari- to the state of Arizona, somebody who, you know, you're all of Arizona state's assistants are going to have big time jobs elsewhere. Yeah. They're all going to get bit like that, that, you don't, there's only one other option in the state of Arizona and that's university of Arizona. So it's not like you're going to stick around. It's not like you're going to live here. A lot of the coaches don't necessarily have that affinity to keep those longstanding relationships. And I think it's short-sighted. I think you should come into the state of Arizona. If you're an Arizona state assistant, you should get a relationship with every single coach in the entire state so that when you go work at Cal next, you have all of those relationships built up like everything should point to the Arizona being somewhere where you're going to need to recruit in the future if you stick around the Pac-12 or even if you're in the Big 12 and so you know that that I I think that there's just been some short-sightedness as far as people seeing the value in recruiting Arizona appropriately it's not a will issue they want the best players and if that best player happens to be in Arizona then they then they want them too so i don't want right. that to be mistaken mm-hmm. ralph it is clear they're not trying hard enough oh, God dang it. Hey. and now it's time for the secret textoso line. I stole that name from Petros. So don't even try to come at me if you listen to Petros and Money. I couldn't come up with a better name. That was the perfect name for it. So sorry. Um, yes, I stole it. And it is 818-293-5747. 818-293-5747. 
Um, Rob, how long should we give this phone number out? I love, man, I love the engagement. So I, I'm I'm trying to give it out more than more than you even want. So I'm trying to tweet it out, but you won't have it. <laughs> All right. So maybe maybe we'll tweet it out at one point in time and then like leave it up for 24 hours and then delete the tweet that way. I like it. I like it because, um, because Petros, he only gives the secret testoso line out one time a year. Now he used to give it out all the time, but then it became too popular. So then he only started giving it out one time a year. So maybe we give it out a bunch initially and then maybe in a few months we'll stop and then only give it out and then wait until what, what is it? February. So then maybe we'll stop maybe in like April and then not give it out again until the beginning of football season when, when we'll get another bump. Yeah. Or we could just get t-shirts printed up with the number on it and walk around. Oh man, I'm getting, Hey, Oh guys, I didn't tell you about this. Okay. So next episode, if you don't know, we are going to have one of the topics has to be free Ralph. So if you guys don't know, there are free Ralph t-shirts and that may be the official pac 12 apostles t-shirt. I don't know, man. Um, so here we go. Here is one, uh, text that we got in on the secret text also line. We'll give it out again, super quick. 818-293-57. I'm sorry, Lord have mercy. 818-293-7547. I hope I didn't say it wrong the first time. 818-293-7547. Did I say it wrong the first time? No, no. Okay, cool. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of those are correct. Just okay. text any of those numbers and it'll come <laughs> Okay. Hey, POC guys, Ralph, I listened to you on Speak of the Devils. Random question. What correlation do you see between ASU's lack of desire to recruit AZ high school high school football players and empty stadium? Granted, winter cure, winning cures all, but the lack of effort, which we just talked about, their lack of effort and poor job recruiting Arizona, which, which Ralph has been adamant at saying, um, on now. <laughs> um, and it's impact on turning families away, even going to football games. What are your thoughts? Stay positive, test negative. Okay. So I'm going to rephrase the question and you tell me if you think that I'm close. Do I think that the Arizona schools chilly relationship with in-state recruiting affects attendance and local people rooting for the colleges yes. in general? Yep. Um, I would say no to the affecting attendance. I think that, that there's probably 15 issues there and schools relationship with the high school community isn't in the top 15. So I'd say, I would say negligible. I would say that if the schools did a better job being just part of the culture, you know, like sending Sparky to elementary schools, uh, just being ingrained in the culture, that it would be easier to have a foundation to build over time. But I don't think it, I don't think there's a direct correlation between um, the attendance and the way that they recruit. Now, if the question is, is the struggles that, they have recruiting 
something that you can correlate to the lack of energy around the program in general, as far as people even wanting to show up and watch games in Tucson and Tempe and all over the Pac-12? Maybe. Maybe because, I mean, do you feel like attendance falls uh, in Austin if the team is 6-6? Six and six? I, I don't oh. think it falls at the rate that it falls in, in the Pac-12. So I think availability and tradition are the two things that drive attendance down in, um, in, in the Pac-12. There's a lack of tradition and a lack of availability to get new fans bought into what's currently going on at each school without them just igniting interest by having a hot start early in the season. I guess my answer is no. What's yours? Yes. Oh, I, dude, I could, I could not disagree with you anymore about this, Ralph. You are as wrong about this as probably anything that I've ever thought you were wrong about. I, th- this is a colossal Ralph wrong here. And, I thought I was on the right track, and I guess not. Uh-uh. No. So, and and I'm talking about specifically about the attendance. I th- I think that I think that you're right about the other part, like sending Sparky to elementary schools, ingraining him in the community. That part you are a hundred percent right about. So, if you're a hundred percent right about that, a hundred percent wrong about this, then I don't know where the scales go, but but. But the uh, other part about attendance, you are, uh, oh, Lord, you could not be more wrong. And I'll tell you why. So if you get more people in the community, more players from the community, from the state of Arizona, playing at Arizona or Arizona State, those people's families and friends are then going to go to the game. They are going to be more invested, not necessarily that particular season, but the next season, it it has an effect. So it's like my family are Duck fans, right? Because I went to Oregon, had a positive experience there, all of that. So then when Arizona, so then when, even when I'm no longer playing, my family's still Oregon fans. They go to Oregon games with or without me. So, and then some of our friends are now Oregon fans and they go to games with or without me. And when you look at what Cincinnati has done, uh, Luke, Luke Fickle, uh, just making sure that they've created a culture around Ohio kids and Cincinnati kids. That then translates into attendance because people care about it. And even once those kids leave, you have infected them with Cincinnati. Same thing with Arizona. You would have infected. I mean, I I know that has a negative connotation, but I mean, like you would have spread the message of Arizona. (laughs) You would have. All right. You would have penetrated the the wow <laughs> okay you this would excellent just excellent decision making <laughs> you would have um uh subtly manipulated the pe- <laughs> okay wrong wrong again no I, I feel like that's it you've been on the right track the whole time penetrating <laughs> spreading 
manipulating. What is it we're trying to do? Get people in the stands? I'm very yes. confused. Here. <laughs> okay, so you would have. Okay, so if you do all of those things, you would have subtly um, created a another fan base. I'm gonna liken it to NASCAR. Okay, NASCAR. You're talking about. So you're what you're trying to what you're talking about doing is you're talking about uh, getting in there. Uh, spreading penetrating creating so that down the road you're giving birth to fandom yes because that sounds like what you that's what i took <laughs> that, that you're spreading that you're penetrating that you're creating so then you give birth to i like what you did right there so Ralph, hey, for anybody can see, Ralph is red as a beat right oh now. Oh my gosh! Because you guys, yeah. I I have brought out because Ralph is um, a little prude, yes. a little bit, uh, but he's 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 coming into his own now. You know, <laughs> you know, in case in case he has to move to coming Georgia, he'll be he'll be ready. I will uh, not be moving to that <laughs> town. No, no one should live in that town. <laughs> so, so yes, that's that's what I'm saying. So they can birth some fandom. And the fandom, so they've done it at Cincinnati, and I'm gonna like it, liken it to NASCAR, right? So NASCAR has a black driver, Bubba Wallace, who's a good driver, who's now in a really good car. Like he actually has a car that can compete to win now, as opposed to his first car. Um, he's also in with Michael Jordan's one of the team owners. Denny Hamlin is the other one. So Denny Hamlin fans are going to want Dem not only Denny Hamlin to win, but his team to do well, right? People who like Jordan brand then may come in and like it, right? But that's not going to, that's not going to how you build NASCAR fans. So NASCAR has to then invest in the youth, like the youth in, um, in either poor communities, inner city communities, and also, um, in minority communities that that's how you grow the NASCAR brand. So if you go into minority communities and you get some of them driving, if I get my nine year old son driving go-karts right now, and he goes on to be a NASCAR driver, consider this, how many new NASCAR fans would come and they would really be exposed to just by my one son, my nine year old son, going and going to go be a driver if so it, it would capture, be me um oregon fans you capture people who are regionally affiliated like socal you know you you'd capture uh, aunties uncles yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so aunties uncle so all of our family like people with the la same last name cousins what, what whatever as well and then their friends, the same people who would go watch your kid play soccer, volleyball, what, whatever, friends of the family. So now they're exposed to it. They're going to the uh, track. And then it continues to grow and grow just from one kid getting involved in it. Now, if you can get 20, 30, 50 kids in a city involved in it on some level, then it's going to grow. The same thing would be true for Arizona State if they did that with the Arizona kids. Like... 
I know that you want to have all your specs, you know, because they're about measurement recruiting. You can do that while at the same time saying, all right, we have to focus on our Arizona kids. I suppose. I mean, I, I, but what is it? You're saying maybe over time, but what is it per year? Like 40, 50 people that aren't in the stands over, over a couple of local recruiting issues. Like it's, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know if it's as. I'm saying that, that you're going to grow it just from that. Right, right. It. I. I always come back to this. Whatever state that it says, whatever region it says, across your chest, as a college football player, you're bringing pride to people of that area. And if people were already ingrained in that area or involved in that area, like it, it is a really big deal. Anybody who chooses to wear that state name across their chest is bringing pride back to 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 wherever they're from, as well as to the area that they play in through, through their efforts. And when you can combine those two things over time, it might have a positive effect, but I don't look at PAC 12 schools losing 7% attendance year over year and say, this is an issue of local recruiting. I look at 10, 12 other issues before I even, that even enters my mind. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a thought. So th- this is, we can agree. <laughs> <Thoughts. laughs> Hey, so passive aggressive. <laughs> hey, it's like borderline Midwestern in its passive aggressiveness. Hey, I said that oh, when I was on Fox Sports Radio one day with a dude who I work with all the time named Dan Dan Byer. I vehemently disagreed with him on something, and he was like, um, so so I made my case first. He made his case and um, and he said, oh, no, or no, no. Uh, yeah, I, I made my case first. Then he made his case. And then he said, OK, so what what did you think about that, George? Mind you, we're on the air national radio. Uh, well, that's a thought. <laughs> he was like, yo, like that's probably the most disrespectful thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> it's like, I apologize for making for, for letting wind pass through my vocal cords, <laughs> forming it into sounds that made words that made sentences. I regret all of it. <laughs> all right. Um, we did get another uh, text on the secret text also line. Hey, George and Ralph. See, this this one was cool. This is one of my favorite ones. Hey, George and Ralph. And so, mind you, we're not going to read them, them all. There are just a couple that ha- either have questions or things that we need to address. Hey, hello, George and Ralph. I'm the third grade teacher from Bakersfield who you discussed scholastic books with you, George. I'm so glad Ralph has joined Rice or Wrong podcast. So if you guys don't listen to Rice or Wrong podcast, make sure you listen to that as well. Um, in the case of you two, one plus one equals four. So how we talk about one plus one equals zero in quarterback math. She's, uh, the teacher said one plus one equals four. Your chemistry makes the show great. I was glad you shared your cell number a few weeks ago, similar similar to Petros and his secret text also line. So yeah, I was happy to get that one. That's really, really cool. That's cool. So what I'm hoping that means is that we're at that we're equal parts. One plus one equals four. And that it's not like a, you bring in 3.5 and me bringing half. Hey, remember when we used to grade the uh, the episodes? <laughs> Give us a star a star rating. We we should continue that. 
Um, uh, we did answer the text asking about the Tyler Shug situation. Shuck, Shuck, which which one is it, bro? Shuck. <sighs> As in, like, <sighs> learn his shucking name. <laughs> oh, dude, the, the the text I read at first. Now I know what POC stands for. Now that I think think about it, dude, and now I'm slightly jealous. Did they what podcast the champ were they yes. referring to the other podcast? Yes, yes. And then yeah. and because then the next text said, I'm listening to too many podcasts. This should this should go to Pac 12 Apostles. Ah, ah, we got wrong, we got wrong numbered. <laughs> No, no, it was to us because it was addressed to you, but but the person was like that they addressed it to Podcast of Champions instead of us. So actually, I need to peek in on Podcast of Champions because they may have stolen our uh, our uh, our secret te- textoso thing. Uh, here, here's what you need to know about uh, Podcast of Champions: they also can't say Tyler Shuck. <laughs> so we did we we don't have a monopoly on that issue. Um. Oh. Okay, that we also learned that Ralph. Oh, while you're dissing people for pronunciations, one of the texts said, however, I love this. It, it said, I love this in terms of the uh, show and the secret textoso line. However, Ralph needs to learn how to pronounce appellation. Yes, no, that's fair. I, I went to Boone, North Carolina. And I called it Appalachian State, and it's Appalachian? Yep, Appalachian. Yeah, so my bad. My bad. Yeah. Great moment to bring up my pronunciation. Yep, exactly. See, you were sitting on a, on your elitist throne, and tur- turns out you don't know a damn thing either. Um, the, <laughs> the last thing uh, was a question that Ralph had about Pac-12 basketball. Like, like we talked about it. A little bit earlier, but um, Ralph is all Phoenix all all the time, so he can't help but talk about DeAndre Ayton, who went to Arizona, drafted by the Phoenix Suns, and who is you know he is he's a you know he's a role player on a uh, a eighteen and ten team that's semi watchable uh, in in the NBA. Who oh, th- thanks for the credit. No, no, they are they are becoming more watchable. That they are. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> I just know if if people don't know, uh, you're a giant hater, and that's the nicest possible thing you can <laughs> say about the Suns, is that they're more watchable because it doesn't imply anything positive. It doesn't imply anything positive at all. It, no. it, it would be it would be like adding a teaspoon of salt to the world's worst cooking, <laughs> and you kind of like, oh, it's more edible. It doesn't mean that it's good. Hater. <laughs> oh my god, dude! My 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 kid told me I laugh like the kid like like the dog from um. Oh my god, <laughs> what, what what cartoon is? That? I can see the little gray dog where he's like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot. Okay, so so Ralph's all Arizona all the time. So he wants to know if with the success or semi-success that DeAndre Ayton has had, Evan Mobley, who's at USC, 
who is potentially a top three pick by pretty much everybody who's drafting, mock drafting. Should you look at him differently because he's a traditional center? Like, should you still spend a pick on, on him? And there have been some traditional centers drafted. There's obviously Aiton, Wiseman, but, but, but Wiseman can shoot some jumpers too. So, and then a, a, a Koru from USC came out last year too. He's doing pretty well. So make it, make your case, Ralph. Well, that's just my question. And I, I want people to text us in on this, this one too, because I'm just really curious what everybody thinks. If they're looking at DeAndre Ayton in his third year with the Phoenix Suns, and do they say to themselves, okay, so the biggest issue back then when DeAndre Ayton was coming out of University of Arizona was – that the NBA doesn't really have a need for what he brings to the table anymore. Like the, the centers in the league who are um, who your your Deandre Jordans and your Dwight Howard's who are more of like a defense and rebounding guy at this stage in their career. Those are gone by the wayside and you want guys in there who are seven feet, but can pull and pop from 25 feet out like a Porzingis or a Carl Anthony Towns or, or Jokic or anybody else who can who who can do it all. Aiton's still more of like a, a down low guy, like a guy that would have thrived in the nineties, even though he's not as aggressive, maybe more of like a Rick Smith's Brad Darty type. So my question for people who've been paying attention to Pac-12 basketball is everyone says that Evan Mobley's probably going to be a top two pick. You just had Marvin, or, or not Marvin Bagley, but uh, um, DeAndre Ayton come off the board number one. Then you had James Wiseman picked by the Warriors, uh, and now you have an opportunity for Evan Mobley to go. Is Evan Mobley somebody that a modern NBA team should be using a top two, three pick on, or do you look at DeAndre Ayton and say the concerns were founded? It's not really a traditional big league right now. Maybe he should fall a few spots because I love Evan Mobley. I think he's. I mean, he, 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 then again, I'm a 90s era basketball fan. You have a seven footer that can move like that, and he's averaging three blocks a game. To me, it's like the perfect basketball player, but maybe the game is not, okay. is not for him right now. So is, is Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gobert's got zero offense. So, is Rudy, he's real good on the cleanup, like anything yeah. off the glass, anything down low. Yeah, I, I'm, when I when when I say offensively, I mean like he doesn't add value in terms of any value in terms of throwing the ball down to him at Stretch any point the on the court and get either stretching the court or saying or creating his own here shot. here's the ball, go get a bucket. Like yeah, that's not happening. He's like rebound, pick and roll, lob. You know that that's where he gets his gets his points. So. Is he and he's been a defensive MVP? So is he worth a top two pick to you? Ooh, that's a really good question. I, I, that's a that's a great question. See, because it depends on too what type of style of basketball that you're going to play. Because I don't think he's worth a top two because he adds no offensive value, which means that he becomes a hindrance on the court. Like he becomes a defensive liability. Yeah. And that limits the things that you can do in the playoffs. Like, like Rudy go, go, go bear. He would play limited minutes on a warriors team. He would be on the Lakers team. He would be JaVel McGee or Dwight Howard from last year. 
<clears throat> he would be an important piece, but not like you wouldn't want to waste the second round, the second overall pick on him. So I look at DeAndre Aiden and what he can do and where I feel like his game will develop to. The more and more he's able to stretch the floor, like, like I think that big men now that they need to look like Jokic, but more athletic or, I mean, but, but he's the greatest passing big man that we've ever seen, but, but he can score. But to have an NBA debate for no reason here <laughs> on Factual. <laughs> So, I'll hold my tongue. I'll hold my tongue. So yeah, that they need to be skilled, that that's what big men need to be. I think that Wiseman can transition into that. I think Aiton can transition more. Not not Mind you, they don't have to be a playmaker in terms of, like they just need to be a serviceable passer and be able to go get a bucket. So, and that to me looks like, what like my ideal big man is Jokic, but more athletic or give me a seven footer like Porzingis. I can work with either one of those. I, so I just it's, you're, this- you're more in the situation of saying, and, and maybe this is just an answer to the question. I wouldn't use a top three pick on anybody who isn't creating their own offense. Yes. That's an optimal way to say it. And I don't know if Mobley is that guy. He is seven feet. He's not a Kevin Durant seven feet tall. He's seven feet tall, and he can shoot. If you hit him when he's open, he can hit the college three. I think he's hitting better than 30%. Not shooting a lot of them, but he's hitting better than 30% right now. He can do a little bit of everything. The nine rebounds a game shows he's not a dominant rebounder, but he's, I mean, he's scoring. He's taking advantage of his height and his athleticism, but I don't think he's a guy who goes out and just creates offense. And we saw a few years ago when someone used a number two overall pick on Hashim Thabit, that if you really go with somebody who can't create their own shot, um, who's a project player, and I don't think Mobley's a project player no. by any means. I think he's an elite athlete. But if you go with somebody who's a project player on the offensive end in a, as a top three pick, it's never going to work. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, you have to – like, the, the, the game has changed. Just because you're tall doesn't mean that you stand under the basket. But I could also play with a guy who is dominant, who can't shoot three-pointers, but has good touch around the basket, good, good jump hook, good, but can create his own offense and is dominant down in the block. I can play with that too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm down with that. Yeah. But it, it's but if you can't create your own offense, you have you have absolutely lost me, and you are lost in the NFL. I mean, sorry, in the NBA to be, begin with. Um, I had one more thing, super quick, Ralph. Um, I forgot what it is. Forgot what it is. Doesn't All right, matter. killing it here. On the, this is why we get the four star reviews. Really. No, no, it's because I, <laughs> it's because I told people to. No, it, it was something. It's a five star podcast. Yeah, it was something about the phone number or something. And anyway, uh, so was it about the podcast, the champions, or the five star review? I don't remember. Either, either way, um, you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Make sure that you guys check us out on the Right or Wrong podcast. Tell a friend about it. Shoot us an email. Get it. We've given you ample ways to get a hold of us. So make we're sure available. You, <laughs> we we are available to be spread and created, Do not, and no, penetrated, nope, and nope, all those. Things. I'm not. I'm not available. 
for those things. I'm available by text. <laughs> All right, peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>